0: Hey, community of faith, how are you? On this crazy weekend, week two, we're coming to you. I know you're not in the service live, but we are wanting to talk to you right in your own home, and we're so glad we have the chance to do that. I hope you're holding up okay. You know, we're in this series, I Need a Miracle, and the miracle we're on today is exactly perfect for where we are because... Uh, It's what Jesus would teach us to do in a crisis. So I want us to look at that together, and I think it's going to impact us. I I just We've been praying so hard for you. The staff has been praying. I know that these are difficult times. And again, if you need us, if you need prayer, please, please get on our website, get on our app, and and let us know that, okay? Let's look at this miracle. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 5. Jesus teaches us how to respond to a crisis. And in this unprecedented moment, I mean, it seems almost surreal, doesn't it, that in this crisis that we're in right now, it almost feels like, can this really be happening? I mean, I know my dad is 84. He said he's never experienced anything like this in all of his 84 years. Definitely I haven't, I know you haven't. What do we do when crisis comes? Well, we're gonna look at the life of a couple of people that were in crisis and we're gonna see how Jesus responded to them. And it's gonna give us some clues, I think, to how to respond to crisis. First thing I want you to see is that a crisis comes to everyone. A crisis comes to everyone. No one is exempt. We'll we'll look at Mark chapter five, verse 21. After Jesus returned from across the lake, a huge crowd of people quickly gathered around him on the shoreline. Just then, a man saw that it was Jesus, so he pushed through the crowd and threw himself down at his feet. His name was Jairus, a Jewish official who was in charge of the synagogue. He was a ruler of the synagogue. That means that he was a wealthy man. He was a man of prestige. He was a man that was known in the community. He was a man of power, but this man needed something desperately because he was in crisis. We're going to find out in a moment that his little 12-year-old girl was dying. I've noticed in my life a lot of times that the people that the world sometimes looks at and says, they've just got everything. Everything. When you know behind the scenes, if you know them, I've known some of those men and when crisis comes, they're just like all the rest of us. They're hurting, they're in need, they're desperate. And that's what we see with Jairus. Now there's another thing going on at the same time and we're gonna kind of look at both of those things together. There's another lady in this giant crowd that's totally unlike Jairus. She is one of the outcasts of society. And we're gonna see this and we're gonna see how crisis really is common to all of us. So verse 25, now in the crowd that day was a woman who had suffered horribly from continual bleeding for 12 years. She had a uterine bleeding and and to the Jewish people, even though the laws didn't say that someone that was struggling like that was unclean, the Jewish people felt that that was a, a, an unclean thing. She was kind of pushed out of society. It says, verse 26, she had endured a great deal under the care of various doctors, yet in spite of spending all she had on their treatments, she was not getting better, but worse. This woman, in a sense, represents all of humanity. We, we are all struggling. We are all ill. And we've spent all of our resources We've tried all of the world's remedies. You know, she was desperate to get to Jesus too. And I I think that's what crisis does. It causes us to move toward God. And we, we begin to see that. We begin to think about the things that are important. What's gonna last? What's gonna matter? 12 years she's had this. I think it's interesting because we're gonna see the little girl was 12 years old. This lady for 12 years had had this terrible illness, this bleeding that couldn't be stopped. She'd spent all of her money. It said in, in, in one uh, gospel, it said she'd suffered horribly under the physicians of that day as they tried to heal her and and, and nothing worked. Now the little girl, she grew up in an affluent home, probably 12 years of, of just kind of a carefree happiness, but now she's at the point of death. She's dying. So these Completely different circumstances. And yet, here's the thing. That this crisis shows that we're all in it together. This pandemic that that we're experiencing. We all have very different experiences in our lives. But this has kind of brought us all together. And we're going to see that crisis, it comes to everyone. It comes to all of us. Rich, poor, I mean, there's something about crisis. There's something about disease. There's something about when, when death is kind of lurking around the corner that, that it, it, it's a great leveling of all of society. We're all in this thing together. Crisis is no respecter of persons. I want you to see a second thing. Crisis calls for action crisis calls for action. Now we can either go to Jesus or we can go to the so-called experts, okay? Jairus, he came to Jesus. He pleaded with Jesus saying over and over, please come with me. My little daughter is at the point of death and she's only 12 years old. Come and lay your hands on her and heal her and she will live. Now, we look at this and this man is a ruler of the synagogue. We know how those Pharisees, those Jewish leaders felt about Jesus. They didn't like him. They felt like he was a challenge to their authority. And so this man had probably really struggled with coming to Jesus. I I would imagine that his wife for a while had been saying, honey, you know, the prophet, the prophet that's been healing all these people, he's close. Maybe, maybe you should go to him. Our little girl is sick and, and she doesn't seem to be getting better. She seems to be getting worse. And Jairus is probably saying to his wife, honey, you know how all my friends feel about this guy. And you know how the leaders think about this. So he just kept putting it off and putting it off until she gets, the little girl gets to the point of death. And he's desperate. When he's desperate, he says, I, I've just got to get to the, I've got to get to Jesus. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I'm desperate. He's my last hope. That's all I've got. This point of desperation. I don't know about you, but it's easy to, to, to start to get desperate, even in these situations where we're kind of locked in our house and we're trying to figure out what's going on. And if you've been watching all the talking heads lately, I mean, everybody has a different opinion and, 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 you know, reading all the articles on the internet about what's going on. So many expert opinions out there and not so expert. I saw that CNN the other day They had an expert panel to deal with the crisis and Sean Penn, the actor, was on there and he's giving all this advice and I'm thinking, what is Sean Penn? You know, you finally just turn it off because I hate to tell you this, but nobody knows where this is headed. Nobody. Nobody does. Well, except for one and that's the one that we want to go to. We need to stay on our knees before him, before Jesus. He's our hope. He's our anchor in the storm. Let me just ask you, are you spending time with him each day? Are you just focused on all the news and all the stuff and all the prepping and all the, you know, things that you feel like that we have to do out there to, to, to try to weather this thing? Now, I'm fine with you, you know, stocking up on a little toilet paper or doing whatever you need to do. But I want us to spend time with him. Get alone with him. Let me just tell you, when you wake up in the morning, first thing, don't turn on the news. Go to the Psalms in the Scriptures. You just open your Bible to the very middle and you'll be in the Psalms of David and, and it's just prayers poured out to God and and read through that, just a couple of them maybe, before you get started with all this other stuff. Verse twenty seven Going back to the lady that was bleeding, when she heard about Jesus' healing power, she pushed through the crowd and came up from behind him and touched his prayer shawl. For she kept saying to herself, if I could only touch his clothes, I know I will be healed. As soon as her hand touched him, her bleeding immediately stopped. She knew it, for she could feel her body instantly being healed of her disease. Jesus knew at once that someone had touched him, for he felt the power that always surged around him. And had passed through him for someone to be healed. He turned and spoke to the crowd saying, who touched my clothes? His disciples answered, what do you mean who touched you? Look at this huge crowd. They're all pressing up against you. But Jesus' eyes swept across the crowd looking for the one who had touched him for healing. She's going, if I can just get to Jesus, if I can just get to Jesus, it's going to be okay. And she had to fight through the crowd to get there. I think we're going to have to fight through all of the distractions and all of the things coming at us from every direction, even things from within us, the fear and and the worry. We're going to have to fight through all of that. We're going to have to get to Jesus. I want you to see number three, a crisis demands a choice. It it demands a choice. It's always going to demand a choice from us. And that choice is fear or faith. When the woman who had experienced the miracle, verse 33, realized what had happened to her, she came before Jesus, trembling with fear, and threw herself down at his feet, saying, I was the one who touched you. And she told him her story of what had happened. See, I think that we need to take the example of this woman. We don't need to fear that our our faith is too weak or too immature or too ignorant. We only need to fear one thing. You know what that one thing is? That we let Jesus pass without touching him. Jesus is here. He's right there. He's with you there in your home. Yeah, I know you're quarantined in, right? I know that it it, it feels like you've been kind of boxed in, but God is there with you. Don't let this moment pass without reaching out and touching him. That interruption to Jairus as he's trying to get Jesus to his house to heal his daughter, they'd started finally moving toward the house, you know, and, and then all of a sudden all this happens and this woman touches Jesus and he stops and he's taking all this time. It must have felt like. Being in the back of an ambulance, you know, an ambulance when you're, when you're uh, in rush hour traffic in Houston and it just, there's nowhere to go and it just slows down, finally stops. You got to get to the hospital, but it's just dead. Stop. Gridlock. That's probably what he felt like. Verse 35, before Jesus had even finished speaking, people arrived from Jairus' house, pushed to the crowd to give Jairus the news. There's no need to trouble the master any longer. Your daughter has died. But Jesus refused to listen to what they were told and said to the Jewish official, don't yield to fear. Don't yield to fear. All you need to do is keep on believing. What a word for us in this crisis. Keep on believing believing literally what Jesus said to him you have believed now keep on believing and I would say that to you down through your life you've seen Jesus work you've seen things happen you have believed this is not a time to stop believing this is the time to keep on believing God is saying keep believing in me I'm good I'm God I'm for you I'm working I see you Trust me. Trust my heart. Jairus, in this moment, he had nothing to depend upon but the word of Jesus. And he clung to it with all he had. Because you see, he had no other hope. Your little girl is dead. And then Jesus looks him right in the eye. Don't stop believing. Keep on believing. That's what he's saying to us in the midst of this crisis, in times of great trial and, and, and tribulation. We've got to depend upon him. We've got to depend upon his word and the faithfulness uh, of who he is. Are you worried? I'll put this down worry at its core is a trust issue, it's a trust issue. If you're worried, you're not trusting the heart of God for you. That doesn't mean that you can't be concerned. That's a whole different thing. That doesn't mean that you can't be prepared. That's a whole different thing. That doesn't mean that you can't you know, do some planning and try to figure some, a few things out. But if you're deeply worried right now, I want you to realize that's a trust issue between you and God. It, it reveals something about how you feel about God right now. If you've stepped into this relationship with Jesus, if you've really full out said, I wanna be yours, God, full out right now in all that I am, all of my life, I give it to you, all my hopes and dreams and future, you can trust him. You can trust him with that. Number four, a crisis reveals a very personal God. He's reaching for your hand right now. Look what it says in verse 30 of Mark 5. Jesus knew at once that someone had touched him for he felt the power that always surged around him had passed through him for someone to be healed. He turned and spoke to the crowd saying, who touched my clothes? The disciples, what do you mean who touched you? There's people all around you. But Jesus' eyes swept the crowd looking for the one who had touched him. When the woman who experienced this miracle realized what had happened to her, she came before him trembling with fear, threw herself down at his feet, said, I'm the one who touched you. And she told him the story of what had just happened. Then Jesus said to her, daughter, because you dared to believe your faith has healed you, go with peace in your heart, be free from your suffering. I think this is one of the most profound things that Jesus ever said. I was aware that power had gone out from me. What an insight. Listen to this. The power of God is not impersonal. It's not impersonal. When the power of God flows from him to you, you feel it and you know it. But did you ever think about it? He also feels it. It's personal. It's a personal connection. That's an incredible thought. His life pours into us. We feel that infusion of spiritual power, but he also feels it. He experiences it. The outflow of his power, the, the, the creative power that's recreated in a moment, this woman's insides. He feels it. It's a living, intimate, personal union of life with the living God, the eternal God. And he feels that flow. See, this is kind of the end for me when I read this of some of the the crazy showy hocus pocus miracle services and things like that. The end of all the superstition and trying to do all the right things and say exactly the right words. All the, you know, just touch the prayer towel or touch the TV right now. Those Those kind of things. This is the personal power of God flowing into us. He's personally involved. It's about him and you. It's about the two of you. He is there. You are there. And don't you love that he called this lonely, discarded, cast out woman. He called her daughter. Daughter. Daughter, your, your, your faith has healed you. See, she was just one of the faces in the crowd. She becomes the focus. You're his focus. Yeah, I know there are billions of people on this planet right now, but he's able because he's got to focus down on you right there where you sit or where you lay in your bed or whatever you're doing this morning right there in your home. He sees you. He knows you. Well, that's done. So he he gets to the house of Jairus and there's this huge crowd. Everyone's crying. Jesus says, no need to cry. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. I mean, this laugh that they did is kind of, it turns from like, a crying to kind of a scornful cynicism. It's like, Jesus, I don't know who you think you are. I mean, who is this guy walking in and saying she's only asleep? She's dead. She's been dead for a while. We know the difference. But look what Jesus does. He, he puts them all out of the house, all of them, except for Peter and John and the parents, the mom and dad. So it's Jesus, Peter, John, the parents, and there's this little girl laying there. Look what he does. Verse 41, he tenderly clasped the child's hand in his and said to her in Aramaic, Talitha kum, which means little girl, wake up from the sleep of death. Instantly, the 12-year-old girl sat up, stood to her feet and started walking around the room. Everyone was overcome with astonishment in seeing this miracle. Jesus had them bring her something to eat and he repeatedly cautioned them that they were to tell no one about what had happened. Talitha kum, it's Aramaic, that's what Jesus spoke. That was his words. And because these guys were right there and they were telling this story to Mark as he pens it, they said, here's what he said. He said, Talitha kum, literally, little lamb, wake up. It's what Jewish mothers would say to their children. It's probably what Mary said to little Jesus as a child, every waking morning, little lamb, wake up. Some people think maybe there was a song, you know, of the little lamb waking up. And I I remember my, my wife always singing to my kids every morning. She had little morning songs that she would sing like, Uh, Good morning. Good morning. The sun is shining bright. Good morning. Good muffin to you. I don't know what that means, but that was something that she would sing to them and they would wake up gradually, you know, and, and she's just saying, little lamb, get up. I think that just like probably the mother of this little girl had said to her all her life, little lamb, time to get up. That's what Jesus did. He held her hand. He didn't have to touch her, but that's what he does. He reached out and he held her hand and he said, little lamb, he commanded her to live the the same way he had spoken the universe into existence, the same way that he gave life to the very first man and woman out of the dust of the ground, the same way that for many of us, he's spoken life into our dead marriages or our dead lives or our dead dreams and brought them to life. That's what he did when he said to this little girl, wake up, get up in the time of crisis when everyone around you is losing their minds, when they're going out and buying those thousand rolls of toilet paper, don't yield to fear, Jesus says. Keep on believing. I am the resurrection and the life. Remember all the times that I've been faithful to you, those situations where you didn't understand what I was doing. But you later came to see that I had a perfect plan. Trust me, Jesus would say. And most of all, remember the cross where 2,000 years ago, this same Jesus, he stretched out those very same hands that clasped the hand of the little girl and they were nailed to a cross. Those hands that touched Jairus' daughter were nailed to that cross for you and me. And he's saying, that's how much I love you. I died for you. I came to die for you. I rose again to live for you. Whatever situation you find yourself in, in the midst of this crisis, Jesus comes and reaches out his hand and he says to your heart, fear not. Don't yield to fear. Just keep on believing. Well, it closes out by saying everyone was overcome with astonishment. Really? Yeah, I bet. In seeing this miracle, Jesus had them bring her something to eat and he repeatedly cautioned them they were to tell no one about what had happened. Well, talk about being excited. It says in the Greek, it uses the word existemi, which means literally to stand outside yourself. I mean, they were out of their minds is what it's saying, to be beside oneself. And I can imagine this level of astonishment. It's almost like hysteria. And then this girl, she's walking around. I mean, uh, she's alive. The parents are going crazy. It's still just those few people in the house. Everybody else has been outside. And he says, hey, don't tell anyone what's happened. Now, why did he say that? I mean, you know the news is gonna get out, right? I mean, the little girl, she was dead. She's gonna walk outside in a few minutes and everybody's gonna be stunned. In fact, Matthew in his gospel said, and the the story of it, the news of it went out into all the land, which you can imagine that it would. You can't keep that a secret. So what's Jesus saying? My best guess is he was probably saying, don't feel like that you have to get out there right now and go tell the crowd. Don't feel like you have to get out there right now and go spread it around. Don't do that. I want you to just be in the moment. I want you to see that this is for you, not for all of them. It's just for you, it's personal. Stay where you are, I've cleared the house, there's just us. That's the way it should be. Just enjoy the reunion, the unimaginable, unimaginable thrill of resurrection. Enjoy this moment, enjoy my power, enjoy my goodness, my company, my grace. Rejoice in the life I'm giving. They'll have plenty of opportunity to talk about it. And, and I think he's really letting us know, I want you to be worshipers even before your witnesses. I want you to be worshipers. Well, that's how they responded in crisis. Well, what do we need to do in, in, in this unprecedented time? Tim Ferris, who is one of the guys that I sometimes follow on Online, he always has different podcasts and stuff. He's just an interesting fellow, secular guy, but he says, rehearse your fears. If you wanna get through the worst of times, rehearse your fears. What's the worst that could happen? Well, let's do that for just a minute. The worst. I want you to think about that just for a moment. You say, well, I don't know if I wanna go there. I think we need to break the back of this economic fear. How do, how do you do that? You've got, everything's going on. Everything seems to be falling apart. What's happening? I mean, Laura and I, like you, if you've got money in retirement, we've lost 30% of it. What do you do? Well, I think you give to God's kingdom. That breaks the back of it. We'd made a promise before all this happened that we were gonna give a, a large amount of money to one of the, the mission organizations that we help to pull these people out of poverty. There's a group of people that need this help desperately. And, you know, I was just thinking, oh, we can't do that now. And God's going like, yeah, you can do that now. You do it. You do what you promised to do. And as I began to think about that, and as we began to push through that, it's just like breaking the back of all of that economic fear. I, I was reading this week about, these senators who had inside information on what was going to happen with the stock market because they knew the the extent of what this virus was actually doing. And they sold all their stock early. Now they're in big trouble. That's insider information, right? And I know there's a big push to to get them out and probably rightly so, but we all lost our money. They got theirs out early because they had insider information. Well, I want to give you just a little bit of insider information today. And that is, it's all gonna burn. None of it's gonna last. Jesus said, I'm gonna shake this place. One more time, I'm gonna give a great shaking so that all the physical is done away with and only what matters, the eternal, will be seen. This is just a little tremor. This isn't the great shaking, but it reminds us. It reminds us. The big one's coming. I don't know. I I, I think we have to decide, is our trust in our paycheck or is our trust in the Lord? I know there's going to be a lot of that kind of stuff coming. Some of you are going like, but what, uh, that's not my worry. What, what if I die? What if I, what if I die? What if I get this thing? And you know, my lungs brick up and you know, I've, as a pastor, been with many, many people as they breathe their last. And there's always panic. I've been there with them and usually I'll rub their head and uh, I, I'll tell them, you know, I want you just to lay back, relax. You're a believer. You've stepped into this relationship with Christ. Just feel his arms around you. He's got you. Lay back, relax. And you can see the panic in their eyes. I can't breathe. I can't breathe very good. It's okay. Relax. He's got you. They're breathing. It's ragged and it stops. And I just imagine... In that next moment that passes, the very next voice they hear from hearing my voice say, lay back, just relax. He's got you. They hear this tender voice, like, like no voice you've ever heard before saying, little lamb, wake up. And it's Jesus. He's there. He's got you. It's eternity. It's heaven. Some of you going, well, what if one of my children gets sick? That, that would be worse. I, I couldn't take that. I've got my youngest daughter is in a, a, a communist country on the other side of the globe. And, and, and I bought her a ticket to get home. She talked to me a couple days ago and said, Daddy, I'm not coming. And, you know, now she can't come because everything's canceled. Yesterday, as I canceled the ticket, she wrote me a little note that, you know, a, a little email that said, I'll see you so soon. I'll see you soon, just not this month. And for some reason it just welled up inside of me and said, Oh no, this is like one of those, you know, bad Christian movies where they don't make it. And I've got this little note from her. I'll see you soon, just not this month, you know. But then God said, Would you relax? I've got this. Whose little lamb is she? See, I don't know what's gonna happen. But who loves her more? Me or Jesus? He he does. I don't know how, but he does. I remembered again, the story of Horatio Spafford. He was a, a, a really godly businessman, a lawyer. And I know it sounds kind of you know, like an oxymoron, a lawyer that's really godly, but he was living in Chicago back when the great Chicago fire came, 1871. He lost everything in the fire and everything was gone. But he still, for the next couple of years, he, he still worked and trusted God and believed in God and focused on helping the people kind of try to get their lives turned around, even as he had lost everything. And little by little, he began to get his stuff back and they were so tired. He and his family had four daughters and he decided to send them to England from Chicago so they could go and they could have a little bit of rest, a vacation. They're also going to help the great evangelist, uh, Dwight Moody. Who was going to do some big crusades over in England and he was going to help coordinate that. Well, some business things came up and he had to stay, so he sent his wife and daughters on ahead on a ship, and the ship was wrecked. It ran into a Scottish iron hulled sailing ship, and that ship that they were on sank in like 12 minutes. All of the girls were lost. All four of his girls died. A sailor who was rowing by to see if there was anyone. He found a woman laying on a, a piece of driftwood just holding on for dear life. And that was Anna, his wife, and he rescued her. They got to England and she sent back a telegram. And it just said this because you couldn't put much in a telegram. It said, saved alone, what do I do? shipwrecked saved alone what do i do well as spafford got on the next ship to england and as he was getting close to the shores of newfoundland where this other ship had wrecked and where her, his daughters had drowned he asked the the captain of the ship would you show me when we get there would you wake me from my sleep and show me where my daughters drowned and the captain did that and he was out looking Over the sea. And he had to make a decision. He said his tears flooded his eyes. Is God good or is he not? Is God real or is he not? Does God care or does he not? And he said, he penned these words. He just got a piece of scrap paper and he wrote these down. And they've become one of our our most precious hymns. He said, when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul though satan should buffet though trials should come let this blessed assurance control that christ hath regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul and lord Haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul, it is well with my soul, it is well with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. I think it's time to press into Jesus to trust him. I believe that God's gonna pull us through and make a difference. I believe he's got good plans for you. But let me just tell you something. No matter what happens in this life, he has good plans for you. He loves your kids more than you do. He cares about what's going on with us right now in the midst of this crisis. You know, it's interesting to me that Coronavirus, the the word corona means crown in Spanish. Who wears the crown in my life? Who wears the crown in your life? I mean, who are you gonna bow down to? Are we gonna cower and bow down in fear to this crown virus, this corona virus? I don't think so. Community of faith. Community of faith, for we are children of the great king the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is sovereign. He is Lord. He's got this. He's got you right now. He knows you and he loves you. I know. I know. Today, this weekend, you feel like you're in a daze. I want you just to feel his hand grabbing your hand. Even in this moment, Little lamb, little lamb, I got you. Little lamb, wake up, wake up. I'm here. I'm God. I'm here. I'm with you in this moment. Would you just close your eyes with me for just a minute? God, on this day that we just are so unsure of anything. We don't know where this is headed. We don't know what's gonna happen. We don't know what's going on. Some of us are divided with family on all sides of the globe. Some of us have all of our family right there huddled together right now watching. Wherever we are, whatever's going on, God, we come to you. We don't bow down to fear. We don't bow down to all the talking heads and all the things that they want to say to us and all the experts and all the ginning up of all these emotions inside of us. As we read through your Psalms in the morning, as we remember you have our hand, you have our children's hand, we trust your heart. We know that you're good. We thank you that you're right here with us. Whatever comes, whatever happens... You're here and we trust you and we will lean back into you until that great day that Horatio Spafford spoke about when we see you face to face. We can't wait. God, help us remember what's important. Help us break the the back of our fears, economic, physical, all of those. And God, bring us into this next week triumphant Even as we might be a little bored stuck in our house, as we might be a little crammed together, uh, help us not be irritated with the kiddos. Help us to, to really feel and know and sense your presence. Help us to walk with you in this crisis. In Jesus' name, we say, come, kingdom of God upon us. Be done, will of God in us. Let nothing stop what you want to do, not in our country or in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you so much, community of faith. And we're here for you. Write those prayer requests in. We'll talk to you soon.